Well, I would like to say once again, welcome to the Christian Life Center, or to your living room, or to your office, or to wherever it is that you're actually joining us today. We are glad that you are with us. Uh, for those of you that maybe I haven't had the privilege of meeting, my name is Ben Dieterly, and I get the opportunity to work here on the staff here at the Christian Life Center. And uh, I have to say that this is a very unique time and experience, because uh, while we are preaching, while I'm about to share a message, give you some updates, kind of where we stand as a church with the, with the coronavirus, as well as kind of talk about uh, our last week of the Acts series that we're in, um, I'm currently in a room where just the worship team exists, um, and they're all sitting over here. So that feels a little bit strange and bizarre. So I don't know whether I should stare directly at the camera, and if that makes you feel uncomfortable, or if I should look over here. Um, but either way, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we are glad that you're joining us uh, this day. If you're, you're with us, whether this is the 5 o'clock service on Saturday, the 9 o'clock service on Sunday, or the 1045, we're so glad and thankful that you're with us today. And, and uh, one of the things that I wanted to say as we get into this is that uh, this is actually a quote from ECO, our denomination that we work in. And the quote that they said that I heard probably about 10 minutes before coming into the sanctuary here is that the church is not canceled even if your worship service is. And I think that's so good. Church is not canceled, even if your worship center or your worship service is. And this evening, man, or, or again, this morning, whatever time it is that you're watching, what I'm hoping is that the Spirit of God moves and flows through the device that you're watching this on, through be a television or be a, a, a laptop or even a, a cell phone, my prayer is that the Spirit of God would move and flow into your home that you would feel His presence, that it would not just be something that you would talk about or think about, but it would be something that you actually experience. And that in this, in this difficulty, in this this season of, of fear and of conflict, that you would know that there is a God in heaven who still sits on the throne, that is still sovereign, and still desires to be with his people. And that church can never be canceled, again, even if your worship service is. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, and so therefore the coronavirus can't either. And we believe that fully and wholeheartedly. And I truly believe that God is up to something incredible in our country and in the world right now through this. And, and I, I do want to, um, I feel like I'm about to start preaching already. I'm excited for this and excited to, to get to the content tonight. But before we do that, we thought that it was pretty important that we actually talk through some of the things that we as a church of what we're trying to, to figure out, what we're walking through, some of the decisions that we've made concerning the gatherings that we have here and trying to honor our state and our, our federal government. So I do want to kind of talk through that a bit. I've got it written on my notes here, so I'll be referring to them quite a bit because I actually want to make sure that I don't miss anything. Um, there has been a ton of conversations this past week with staff and, and even session kind of being involved in those that we're really trying to figure this out and discern God's will as we go along. This is unprecedented, right? Like I've been in existence for 33 years and I've never seen anything quite like this. And so this is new for many of us. And so I do want to kind of talk through some of those things as we kind of uh, jump into uh, what we want to want to talk about with the coronavirus as well as uh, with our future plans. And so the first thing that I would encourage you to do is if you're watching this video or you're watching this online, please continue to do that. If you have not downloaded our app, that's another way that you can be in contact with us. If you text CLC family, that's one word, CLC family, and then the second word being app, CLC family app 
to the number 77977. You can actually get our app as well. Through there, there's push notifications that we can kind of keep you up to date as things change and things evolve. So if you download that app, that's a great way to stay in touch with us. Also through our website, whether you're watching this on Facebook or maybe even on YouTube, you can also found, find us on clcfamily.com slash uh, clcfamily.church slash live. You can watch the services live from the website as well as through Facebook, which is clcfamily.com, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, facebook.com slash clcfamily.church. There's a lot of URLs. I'm sorry we don't have a pretty little overlay that we can put there, um, but that's another way that you can be connected. We will be communicating through our, our website. We will be communicating through our social media networks that we have, and we will be communicating um, as best as we can through uh, the various forms. So again, the app, through uh, social media, and then also through Facebook, man. Make sure that you're connected to us through those things. We are also working on being able to get some type of a, a phone number that you can simply call because we recognize that some people don't have access to the internet or they just, maybe they're a little bit older in age and they're just not interested in accessing the internet in that way. It would be easier for them to make a phone call. We are going to be working this week on getting a number that they can call with live updates that will be the most pertinent information that we can get to them as soon as possible. So uh, we want to tell you to be connected there. And really, here is kind of the plans that we have right now. This is as we move forward. This is probably the most up-to-date information that we can get to you is, is that do, obviously, if you're watching this at home on Saturday evening, you see this, or you're watching it Sunday morning, you're seeing this and you're understanding that we are not meeting as a church. So due to the concerns about the COVID-19 virus, we've decided to cancel live services and instead offer all of our church services online this weekend at normal service times. So if this is Saturday night and you're curious about Sunday morning, well, it's going to start at the same time that it would normally start at 9 a.m. or at 10.45 a.m. So same thing if you're watching this on Sunday and you're curious if the following week we will be doing this, what time are the service times? The same time that they would be on a normal Saturday or a normal Sunday at 5 o'clock on Saturday and 9.45, or excuse me, 9 o'clock and 10.45 on Sundays. We are going to keep with that. Um, for this weekend, we've canceled all the services and we'll be hosting online. I just mentioned that um, service times are normal. But also, I do want to remind you at this time that if you maybe don't catch it live, because it's three specific times that we're doing that, if you're interested in, in still watching that message, we will be posting that on our website like we normally do, clcfamily.com slash media, where you can watch and also listen to the message. The difference between the live version and the message is that, simply put, we just edit it down to the actual message that we put on that website, so you won't be able to join in for worship or anything like that, but we do post that, and we will be having those continuing in the same cadence that we have been. Um, I just kind of want to talk through this a little bit more. The staff will be assessing on Tuesdays and on Fridays, and we'll be updating the church on those days by the social media, the website, and the CLC app. We're working on the number, as I already talked about, but those are the days that right now, that's, that's our plan. Both on Tuesdays and on Fridays of every single week as this continues to go on, we are going to be assessing the situation. Right now, we've only canceled this current weekend message. So if you're watching this live or you're watching this on the website, whatever uh, date is actually on that website, that is the only one that we've currently canceled for the weekend services. We have made some changes and some um, updates to the events that we're doing, and we want to bring those, that to your attention as well. 
Um, and I do want to say that you could also help us out. So if you know somebody that doesn't have access to the internet or they, they just don't really want to try and bother with the internet, it would be easier for them to call. Not only can you call them, like that would be great and hugely helpful for us, but also let us know who they are. I, I think that's a big part of one of the things that we want to make sure that we connect with everybody that we can. And part of that is actually making sure that those that don't have internet can get contacted and they can get that information. If you can give them that information, man, that helps us out hugely. So please, please, please consider doing that. Start a call chain if you need to or want to, but consider doing that for us, helping us out and letting us know. The other thing that we have to mention, and Megan kind of already alluded to this, is that we have decided to cancel all the church events that are hosted by CLC for this coming week and most likely, again, it's still a fluid situation, most likely through March 31st. We believe that it will be through March 31st and trying to keep with the government's recommendations. We, we think that that's what this will be. However, it is a fluid situation, so we're addressing that and, and really assessing that every single Tuesday and every single Friday, and we will update you on Tuesdays and Fridays as we have more information. So, We'll be updating that. It's unprecedented for us. This is a different and unique time, both within our country, within all of our worlds as well. And please be flexible with us. We're trying to figure this out as we go and make sure that we get communication out, that we're, we're up front. I promise that we are not going to disappear. Again, even if our church service is canceled, the church is not canceled. Church is not just these four walls in this building. Church is the people. It's the movement of the church, and you are the church. So therefore, the church cannot be canceled, even if the worship service is canceled. So uh, listing out kind of some of those things of the activities that actually will be canceled uh, for the foreseeable future, but again, we're assessing that on a weekly basis. Um, that would be the Big Yellow Mug, uh, Connect on Wednesdays, or COW is what we refer to it as, uh, Cub Scout meetings, uh, boy, both Girl Scout and Boy Scout Cub Scout meetings, uh, Zumba, Chicken Soup for the Senior Saints, uh, the 50-plus event, the Outdoorsman's Dinner has been rescheduled, Laser Tag has been rescheduled, uh, the Day Starters Morning Group has been rescheduled, small groups that are hosted here at the CLC, uh, they will be canceled, as well as any regularly scheduled meetings that are hosted here at the, the Christian Life Center. So that is where we are kind of at. Christian, uh, the New London Christian Preschool, they are kind of determining what they will be doing with that information and kind of making their own assessments. I believe what that it sounds like is that probably for the next two weeks, they actually will be closed as well. And then also New London Christian Counseling will be doing the same thing. Uh, where they are assessing and kind of letting their, their clients know in that as well. I do believe that they are still having those, uh, those sessions. However, it's, it's, through, um, uh, through, it's through an app or a program that they can actually have those meetings. So kind of the, the information, am I cutting in and out there? Do I need to do anything differently? Okay. Um, the, the reality, too, is as we look at this, is that some of you might be at home thinking, man, this is an overreaction. Right? Like, you're, you're kind of sitting at home going, it's not that bad, it's not that big of a deal. And honestly, if I can just be real, truthfully, you might be right. Maybe six months from now, we actually look back at this time and we say, man, those precautions that we took really weren't necessary. And that would actually be the best case scenario. Actually, that's kind of what I'm hoping for, is that six months from now we go, hey, we erred on the side of caution, but it was better to err on the side of caution than to actually err on the other way, where we couldn't take back some of the decisions that we made. So that's what we are doing. Again, as Megan mentioned, this was not a decision based off of fear. 
This is not a decision based off of fear. In fact, uh, we are not motivated. We don't believe as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, that any of our motivation should be fear for anything. That, that is something that God has not given us, a spirit of fear. But we believe that this is actually a decision made to be prudent, to try and be wise, to try and be good neighbors. While we ourselves, even if we contacted uh, or we got the virus, while we may be able to recover, we could pass that on to somebody that may not. And so we need to be responsible and be good stewards of that and be good neighbors and be respectful of those that may not be in the same place or the condition that we are. So that is kind of where we landed. Decision is not based in fear, but prudence. Uh, due to the vast majority of the ages that we serve, we felt it was prudent to try and care well for all of our church family. And this is more about the goal of hopefully containing the COVID-19 virus and not letting it continue to spread. Um, and then with that, there is another element to this that makes things complicated. It's, it's a little bit challenging. In fact, uh, after all of that, now I'm going to tell you what we are actually going to do. And you might be confused, but it, it's complicated, and we felt like this is important to, to honor. Um, the one thing that we are going to continue to do is Family Promise, which meets March 22nd through the 29th. We are actually continuing to do that. Now they are slated to be hosted over at NLPC, which is our other, our sister church. Do I need to change headphones? Uh, great question. Oh. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to continue. If that mic gets any worse, just let me know. All right. So uh, we are going to host Family Promise, which is meeting from March 22nd through the 29th. That complicates things because in the middle of the shutdown, how do we, how do, we do that? How do we navigate? How do we get volunteers? How do we do that? Um, but we are going to work through that. So if you are interested, contact Dick White. He is one of the organizers and the facilitators for Family Promise. They can get you more information. So we want to continue to push people to be a part of that. But we also want you to use common sense. If you are not feeling well, then you shouldn't be actually volunteering for that. Use common sense. Stay home. If you have a cough or a sneeze, cover your mouth with that. Wash your hands. Let me just throw in there, uh, when you're at the store, don't buy too much toilet paper. Only buy what you need, all right? That's just an important part of this process, people. Um, so that is something that we're going to continue to do, but our prayer in this is that we aren't controlled by the fear but faith and that we can still continue to serve our community in the middle of this pandemic. And again, I said this in the beginning, I truly believe that God is at work in this. I think something incredible happens when, when really, as believers, something changes our, our normal routine. Yes, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of panic that's kind of stirred up, and really you can see a lot of that in our, in our nation right now. If you don't believe me, you can spend some time on social media and see all of that fear. But the reality also is, is that in that changing of what is consistent or changing what is normal for us, God does something different because we're doing something different. It's not because we're doing something that different. I think that we're just maybe more in tune to the fact that God is on the move and he is at work. And I truly believe that God wants to use this virus for his glory. He wants to use this to do something within our lives and within the lives of our community, within the lives of our nation that maybe he couldn't do elsewise. I think that God is at work in this. And the reality is, is that, that if Jesus is the hope of the world, then in moments like this, we shouldn't be fearful or worried, but modeling that hope of Christ that is within us to a fearful world. The truth is that the kingdom of God is not about this building and these four walls. The church has done a great job, I truly believe, of gathering together on Sunday mornings. But where I think maybe we've missed the mark is the scattering piece. 
where we gather together and it's about our little club that happens on the weekends, but really that's not what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about. The gospel is about spreading. In fact, as, as we look at Saul's life today, we look at his conversion, this man that went from persecuting the, the church known as Saul to this believer that was on fire for the things that God had for him and changing his name to Paul and really, really kind of carrying that early church in a, in a season of difficulty and providing leadership in a way that God allowed him to be part of that journey. It's incredible to look at how God used the persecution that first start, started happening in that early Acts church and how it continued to grow. And I think that this is the same thing that it was the persecution that spread the gospel across the world. It was the negative that God used to bring about the kingdom of God on earth. It was the bad that God used for his glory, and I wholeheartedly believe that God is doing that with, with COVID-19. Uh, one of the things that I, we are hoping as a staff and kind of as a church, and, and really we just, um, the, the way that this week kind of worked out is that there was just a lot of meetings and time that we had to dedicate to actually considering and working through the details of what does it mean to actually, you know, have a weekend service and what are the pieces and how do we communicate with our church. And there's just a lot of moving parts in that. But one of the things that we actually want to do, and we're hoping that within the next week or two we can do something, is to actually have a specific call to action of a way that we can actually love on our community. Maybe there's something that we can do for our doctors and our nurses that are on the front lines of this, that if, if the coronavirus hits this area, they don't get to stay home, but they have to be in there. I know that my wife, who's a nurse, they just had a special meeting yesterday um, talking about how they will approach uh, the coronavirus or, or COVID-19, as the official title is. And so I think that maybe what we can do as believers is to create some sort of a call to action. And really, this, this two weeks that the students have off of schools, really, I, I want to challenge you to not look at that as vacation. This is not just the spring semester vacation, but I want to challenge you to look at that as something that God is calling each and every single one of us to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, to be his church, and to do something in our community, in our area, in our neighborhoods that maybe we wouldn't normally do. So I would challenge you to go for it. Um, again, we'll be communicating as much as we can within the next few weeks uh, to the best of our ability. If you know somebody that doesn't actually have access to the app or to social media or the website, please, please reach out to them. L contact us. Let us know who they are so that we can reach out to them. But if you have their information, reach out to them and keep them up to date if you have those updates as well. And then the last thing that I actually wanted to read before we do kind of transition into, uh, actually we've got a kids video from KidZone that we want to give and show you so that the kids can hear about the message and Saul's conversion uh, in a way that's useful to them. But the last thing that I wanted to read was actually uh, this, this essay that C.S. Lewis had wrote in uh, the late uh, 1940s, and it was talking about the atomic um, age. And, and this is what it says. It says, in 1948, C.S. Lewis wrote an essay entitled On Living in an Atomic Age. It was just three years after the atomic bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and uh, Nagasaki and brought an abrupt end to World War II and at a time when the Cold War was at its infancy. Lewis's essay could just as easily have been written today about whatever the latest scare might be. In fact, you could replace the word atomic bomb with coronavirus. Below is the first three paragraphs of that essay. It says this. It says, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plagues visited London almost every year. 
or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might have cut your throat any night, or indeed, as, they already are, as we are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, and an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, and an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by, uh, do not let us be, uh, begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir, sir or madam, you and all who you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us are going to die in unpleasant ways. I know that's really encouraging, but it's good. Hang in there. We had, indeed, one very great advantage over our ancestors, and that's aesthetics. Anesthetics. But we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painfully and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but certainty. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull yourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb come. Find us doing sensible human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting with our friends over a pint and some darts. Really showing his English side there. Um, not huddled together like a frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. That they may break, they may break our bodies. A microbe can do that. But they need not to dominate our minds. And, and just all this week with everything that we've heard, all of the uh, kind of the swirls and the reality of the coronavirus kind of hitting home and, and hearing schools and, and our, our sons and daughters coming home from school and to hear Lincoln University and to hear schools and to hear the state of uh, uh, emergency that the nation is in and all of that. And, and honestly, I'm a guy, so let me be real. The biggest shock for me was all of the sports leagues canceling. I don't know what to do with myself now. There's nothing on television. Anyway, that was big shock for us, right? Like, as we're working through that, we're going, how, how, do, we, how do we navigate this? This is unprecedented. This is, this is weird. This is, how do we go through all of that? And all of that, I thought that these words just kind of helped bring some clarity. We don't have to live by fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of sound mind. And so as I thought that they fit our current situation really well, we need to be prudent and wise. Don't be or controlled by fear. God is still on the throne. He's still in control. And this is an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a fear-riddled world. So my advice to you is simply put, stay calm, be flexible, trust God, be his disciples, and look for God at work. And so as we kind of transition from that time into our, our, our time of, of the message, I know that this has taken quite a bit of time, but I wanted to make sure that we take advantage of that. What I want to do is I want to say a quick prayer, and then we're going to show this video for KidZone. So if you would, just pray with me. Oh, man, God, God, you are so good. Lord, I, I'm just taken back for, by how good you actually are. Lord, even in the midst of of the chaos, of the confusion, of the frustration, of the, uh, the emotions, Lord God, in the midst of everything going on, Lord, I just feel like you are kind of the eye of the storm, Lord, that if we can find rest in you, if we can find you, Lord God, that even though the world is swirling around us, Lord God, that, that we can find peace in the center of that. Lord, I thank you that you are at work in a way that only you could work. 
Lord, that even this you can use for your good and for your glory. Lord, that you can take what is bad and actually make that something that is good. So, Lord, I I thank you for how you are moving and working. I pray that you would allow us to not walk in fear, that you would allow us to not walk in anxiety, but we would recognize that you are in control, that you are a good God, that you give good gifts. And, Lord, even when we don't understand what is going on, Lord, that you are still good. Lord, I pray for those that, that have loved ones that have been impacted by the coronavirus. Lord, for those that are fearful of, of loved ones being impacted, Lord God, we pray that you would just protect them, that you would just be with them, Lord, that you would remove that fear, that you would keep them safe, and that, Lord, through this, your will would be done. We pray right now, Lord, for our, our nation's leaders as, and our state leaders, Lord God. We pray for those that are in positions of authority over us. Lord, we pray that you would give wisdom that you would give guidance, that we would just look to them, or or maybe we wouldn't look to them, but as they're in their position of leadership, Lord God, that we would look to you to be our Lord and Savior, and that you would guide them. Lord, I thank you for how you're moving and working, and I know that through this you can be glorified. So Lord, we just simply ask that you would just have your way in all of this. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so What's interesting is that when there's no people in the room, we actually can talk out loud, and you don't hear what we're saying. But I was just told that I can keep the video. So what I want to do is just kind of let you know that we are playing, and if we have to continue this way, this is kind of our goal for each service, is that what we want to do is we want to actually show the kids' video. There's a kids' ministry that always meets kids' own. We understand that it's disappointing for them. And even now, if you're home sitting on the couch, you're going, how... How do I corral my kids? Are you expecting me to corral my kids? There's no way I can corral my kids. Like, we understand that it could be stressful and unique. So we want to make sure that you and your kids have an opportunity to kind of understand what was being said or talked about while we're here. So I'm going to just go ahead and step out of the way and check out this video for this week. After Jesus died, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven, people in Jerusalem who believed in Jesus were persecuted or treated cruelly because of their faith. One of Jesus' followers, Stephen, was even killed. A man named Saul had been there when Stephen was killed. Saul wanted to put an end to the church. He went into the believers' homes, dragged them out, and put them into jail. Many believers fled the city. Saul headed to Damascus to arrest believers there. But on the way, a bright light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Saul fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, he replied. Get up and go into the city. Then you will be told what you must do. Saul got up and opened his eyes, but he couldn't see. So the men who were traveling with Saul led him by the hand into Damascus. Ananias, a disciple of Jesus, lived in Damascus. The Lord spoke to Ananias in a vision. He told him to go to the house where Saul was staying. Ananias knew that Saul had hurt many believers in Jerusalem and that he arrested anyone who believed in Jesus. But the Lord said, Go, I have chosen this man to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and the Israelites. 
Ananias obeyed the Lord. He found Saul and told Saul that Jesus had sent him to help. Ananias put his hands on Saul and suddenly Saul could see again. Saul got up and was baptized. For the next few days, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus. He began to go to the synagogues to preach about Jesus. Saul told the people, Jesus is the Son of God. The people were amazed. They recognized Saul and knew he had wanted to put an end to the church and all the believers. Now he was one of them. The Jews did not like Saul's message, so they planned to kill him. Saul heard what the Jews wanted to do, so one night he left the city. The disciples helped Saul escape by lowering him down the city wall in a basket. Jesus appeared to Saul and changed him inside and out. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Jesus called Saul, also known as Paul, who was once an enemy to Christians, to spend the rest of his life telling people the gospel and leading them to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. All right, so we really hope that that is valuable for you guys at home. Um, I do want to also point to, uh, to the, the Kids Zone Facebook page. On their Facebook page, they will have some discussions that I think are scheduled to right about at 6 o'clock or so, some uh, discussions that you can do with your children at home. Um, so I want to encourage you to go to CLC Family, or let me get this right, I'm sorry, there's a lot of different uh, Facebook and URLs that I have to share tonight. Uh, Facebook.com slash CLC Kidzone. That's all one word. So Facebook.com slash CLC Kidzone. And you can find resources, again, discussion guides. I think the plan is that tomorrow they'll actually be posting some activities that you can do as a family. And so they're encouraging you uh, to be a part of that. So, all right. How's everybody doing? You guys doing all right? I mean, you're at home, so you can actually get up and stretch your legs, and I would have no idea. Um, but here's what, what I want to do tonight. As we are kind of wrapping up our Acts series, really this is a series that we started about six weeks ago, and we started it by actually talking about the Holy, Holy Spirit, talking about who he was, what his purpose was, and how he moves and works in believers' lives. And then what we did is we kind of transitioned into the early church, talking about the book of Acts, and seeing how that early church was really birthed by the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit has been involved and engaged in that, and then how he's also engaged in us being that church today and being the body of Christ. And so the last few weeks, Gary's been preaching and been sharing about that. Uh, last week, we specifically looked at how the gospel started to now come to Gentiles. And basically, the Gentiles were, were anybody that wasn't a Jew. And, and so God brought this message, and we looked at Acts chapter 10. God brought this message to this, to this man, Cornelius, about um, how he would come to know Christ and how somebody would come and explain it. And it was Peter, and Peter also gets this vision from God, and, and he goes, and, and the Holy Spirit moves and works in the household of Cornelius. And it's pretty amazing to see. And, and really, last week and this week are, are kind of a, a continuation. They're, they're two different chapters. Acts 9 is what we'll be looking at tonight. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 10. But really, this is foundational and such a big part of the gospel because here, what, the, what shifts is that instead of this kingdom of God just being for the Jews or for the Jewish people— now God reveals his plan for all of mankind to be able to be in relationship with him. 
He reveals that this isn't just for the Jewish nation. While they were his chosen and elect people, they chose to disregard him and, and not really follow him. So God, in his great grace, offers up to us, all of us as Gentiles, that we could now be in a right relationship with him. And really, God uses this person by the name of Saul. He's later on known as Paul. And if, if you're familiar with Acts and you're familiar with the Bible, this is probably a name that you've heard. But really, what I want to do is kind of look at this, this conversion that happens. How Saul, who is this person that actually persecuted the church, somebody that was actually a murderer to the, to the Christian faith, how he changes from Saul, who murders, to Paul, who begins to share and spread the gospel across the known world. It's, for me, a pretty incredible story as we, as we look at that and we kind of understand. And, and like I just alluded to, what I want to do is uh, we're going to be looking at a good amount of Scripture tonight, kind of starting at the end of 7 because it kind of blends in. It helps tell the story of where chapter 9 kind of starts off. So I want to go ahead and jump in on that. Uh, if you have your Bibles or if you have a Bible app, I would encourage you, don't let this just be like watching television at home. This isn't like your favorite sitcom. I would like this to be interactive and for you to engage because I think that what you put into it is what you'll actually get out of it. So I would challenge and encourage you to, to bring out your Bible, to pull, up, pull it up on your, on your Bible app, wh whatever you've got, but don't just listen and just kind of zone out, but really be attentive and focused because I truly believe that God wants to speak to you wherever you're at right now as you're listening to this. And so... Again, we're going to start in Acts chapter 7. It's kind of the tail end of that. And what we see is that Saul is this guy, and we're about to be introduced to him in Scripture, but he is there as the early church is, is taking shape. And then there's this event that happens where a man by the name of Stephen is martyred. He's martyred for his faith. He is the very first Christian martyr. And so he dies because of his belief in following Jesus Christ, or he was a follower of the way is what we'll see in a second. And so the end of 50, uh, the end of 7, 58 through 8, 4, this is what it says and where we're first introduced to Saul. It says, dragging him, what they mean is Stephen, out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. And verse 60 says, when, Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And, and chapter 8, in verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And verse 4 of chapter 8 says, And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Really, what I'm trying to draw your attention to in this is that as this persecution, as, as Pentecost falls in Acts chapter 2, as the, the brand new church is being started in Jerusalem, there's this incredible thing that happens, and then all of a sudden there's this really scary thing that happens. There's this persecution and this martyr of this young man, and now all of a sudden the believers are going, whoa, this is getting real. This is something that's different. This is something that maybe they didn't sign up. Who knows? But there's, I would believe that there would be a fear. And so because of that, 
they then spread. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. What I find so amazing and fascinating in this is, again, the very thing that was actually a negative. The fact that the Christians were now being persecuted. Now that there's kind of these the sides, right? There's the good people and then there's the bad people. All of a sudden, there's this negative that shows up. But even in that, God is using that to bring about the advancement of his kingdom. He's using this as a tool, as a mechanism for his name to be known throughout the world, not just something that was localized to Jerusalem, not just something that was in Judea or in Samaria, but now it begins to spread everywhere. And really, as we look at this, what we understand is that Paul was, was one of the leaders of this, this first widespread persecution, right? Like, what we see is that he is the one that it says... Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Luke is very specific in the verbiage that he uses. He dragged off. Man, that sounds pretty dramatic, right? That, that's not just something that's like, hey, why don't you come with me? I got a prize in the back. Like, this is something that's intense. There is a zeal and a, a desire to squash this new religious sect that is showing up in, 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 uh, in the Jew, uh, Jewish culture and in the church and in the synagogue, and Paul will have no part of it. Paul, along with the, the leaders of that time, are looking at this and going, mm, that's heresy. That's not true. That needs to be destroyed. And so they start to actually do that. Saul was zealously trying to stamp out this new religious sect that had sprung up in Jerusalem. He had hated, uh, he had a hatred and was on a mission to end this uprising. And so as their persecution begins in Jerusalem, the believers begin to spread throughout the world. And so Saul too seeks to journey to Damascus. Damascus is about 130 30 miles, it's a little bit more than that, 130 miles away from Jerusalem, where the believers first met, where this outpouring of God's Spirit first happens, and then they spread. And so Paul is actually traveling 130 miles away just for the sole purpose to persecute the church. And so he's traveling that distance, a journey that would take about three to six days simply to hunt down the Christians. And so continuing on, jumping into Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 1 and 2, it says this. It says, Meanwhile, Saul, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Again, what you see in this is that Paul has this zeal, this, this passion to stamp out, to make this just disappear. This religious sect that's this uprising, he is seeing as something negative and something that is not of God. And his, and his desire is to squash it before it continues to get bigger. He wants to travel to Damascus. And what's interesting about that is that this is, uh, really, Rome was the superpower in this time. About 300 years before Christ, Alexander the Great kind of conquers the known world. The, the Romans have a way of doing things, and they create roads, and they create infrastructure. Uh, you've probably heard the expression, all roads lead to Rome. So, so there's this great kind of infrastructure that happens through the Romans and through the empire that they build. And so the, Rome is still the superpower here, and so it made it easier to to travel. However, traveling was still a very dangerous, a very costly, and a very uh, 
in, almost impossible task. I, I, it wasn't impossible, but whenever you would travel, it was not uncommon for people in the time of Jesus and just afterwards to actually get their affairs in order just in case they didn't make it back from their trip. So this traveling of 130 miles would be about a three to six day travel. Saul was so zealous and so passionate about stamping out this new religion that he, I don't think it would be a, an overstatement or an under, he literally is willing, it seems, to risk his life to travel and to destroy this uprising. Asking for these papers of extradition is what we would call them. And, and so obviously in this, whether Rome gave that authority to the Jewish synagogues or maybe those synagogues looked to Jerusalem to really be the, the leaders of that time and they would extradite, what we actually see is that through this, this system or through these letters that Saul would bring from Jerusalem to Damascus, it gave him the authority and the power, and the power to take disciples from Damascus to Jerusalem where there would be punishment. And so these letters of extradition were brought to the synagogues. And uh, one of the, the commentators that I read, it says, either the extradition permits were authorized by Rome or the Jews in Damascus submitted to the authority of the Jewish uh, the Jerusalem Jewish Council, many Jewish congregations would not have felt as negatively about the Christians. Uh, again, if the, this uprising is in Jerusalem, in Damascus, they may not have heard about this, or maybe they heard about it, but they haven't met very many Christians, and so they didn't really have the same objections. So these letters that Paul would bring from the high priest might have also outlined the Jewish objections to Christianity, and as well as introducing Paul as the authority to take prisoners of these of these criminals. And again, Luke uses very specific words here to tell the severity of Saul's anger as he's going there. As he's going there, um, I just want to read it again. Saul was br still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. If you're speaking something out, we've grown past this inner dialogue, right? Like you're angry on the inside. I don't know, maybe I'm the only person that does this, but you're angry on the inside and then you, you kind of get a little bit more angry and then a little bit more angry and then you start to speak it out. Saul has already gone past kind of this, this growing or this incubation stage of anger, and he is speaking out murderous threats. These are not light words that are used. He also said that he could take either men or women, and that shows the rage that the Jewish council and Saul had felt as that they would not spare the weaker sex who were generally spared on the account of the fact that they were the weaker sex. Remember, in this culture, women weren't regarded as what they are today. Women were, were just kind of there. They were not responsible for their homes. The men in the household were. So if it came to a procedure, a legal procedure, not in every case, but in most cases, the husband or the man of the house would be responsible for his household. But Saul didn't care about that. He took men and women. And it says he would bring them bound to Jerusalem. Wherever he found them, he would bound them and literally drag them back. It was not something that was fun. The Jerusalem Council and the Jewish authority had the authority to carry out the punishment, and apparently they were swift in dealing in that punishment, even to the level of death. And we can see that in other places in Acts as we read through that. And so as we see this, what, what is amazing is that God is using, even in this case, God is using Saul. Even though Saul's heart was turned away from God, he was not looking to follow God. He was looking to stamp out this new way or the followers of the way. But God still used him to bring about his glory by scattering the believers. And everywhere they went, as 8-4 said, 
those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And so God had a plan for Saul. God had a plan for Paul. He has a plan for us. And continuing on, Acts 9, 3 through 9 says this, as he, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Verse 8 of chapter 9. It says, Saul got up from the ground, but when he had opened his eyes, he could, not see, uh, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So on this journey, as Saul is breathing out these murderous threats, as he's angry and as he's agitated, looking to destroy this new sect that's popping up and springing up and now spreading, he's looking to follow this and to squelch this. He has this encounter with God that would literally change his life. It would change him inside and out. Physically, it's believed that maybe even some of the, the effects of this encounter stayed with him for years. And it's just a theory. I'll, I'll get to that in a little bit. But this impact, this encounter with God changes his life. So God's glory sh shines all around him. And, and what's interesting is that whenever in Jewish literature you would see a name mentioned twice, really that the repeating of someone's name draws special attention to what is about to be said. And so in the Old Testament and Jewish culture, people would often fall to the ground when confronted with divine or angelic revelations. Possibly what happens is that Saul has this encounter with God, and on some level, maybe he doesn't know who it is, but he's thinking that maybe God or an angel is actually speaking to him. So he falls to the ground, and he's blinded by this great light that he can't see anything. And he's paying attention. Even the word that he uses there, sir, is in reference to Lord or Master. It's not just a common name of, oh, excuse me, sir, but it was, it was in reference to a divine that he uses there. And Jesus asked this question, why do you persecute me? And what's interesting as, a, as you look at this, this is so much significance because what happens is that in this, Paul sees for the first maybe moment that there's a connection between the believers of Jesus Christ and Christ himself. Because Jesus identifies himself, he says, who, uh, why do you persecute me? When he asks, Lord, who is it? He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I can only imagine what Saul is maybe thinking about in this moment, right? Like, and, and then continuing on from this, as he gets up and he can't see, man, that's got to be pretty humiliating and pretty terrifying at the same time. For three days, he doesn't eat or drink anything. He's fasting, he's praying, he's seeking God. And, and that three days of, of fasting there would actually... Um, would show this remorse and this repentance. It was not something that was just done casually, but Saul is in a place of probably deep brokenness over the fact that he was persecuting God himself. See, I don't think that Paul ever thought that he was persecuting and actually working against the kingdom of God. He thought that he was doing that. But he was mistaken in that. Why do you persecute me? Saul is learning that he isn't persecuting some crazy sect of Judaism but that he's actually persecuting the risen Messiah, Jesus Christ. Saul had not been called so much to leave Judea, Judaism behind as to accept Christ as the fulfillment of what all he believed. It was in this encounter, in this experience, that Saul met the risen Savior and believed that he was the true Messiah. 
Saul thought that he was pursuing heretics, but according to the voice, his actions were equal to attacking Jesus himself. As he lay there in the dust, Saul must have been reeling from the realization that Jesus, the crucified founder of this detested sect, had been, the resur- had been resurrected by God and exalted in divine glory. Saul was not serving God as he had thought, but opposing him. And according to his own testimony in, in, in Acts 26, 16 through 18, Christ gave him at this moment a brief preview of what his future as an apostle to the Gentiles would look like. And more details would come as he made his way into Damascus, but he gets a glimpse of what God is calling him to do. See, God had a plan. And and one of the things that I did, uh, this story is so important to the writer of the book of Acts. Uh, His name is Luke. There's a gospel written by Luke. Luke, as he's writing this, records the, the conversion of Saul three times most likely because it's so important to kind of the foundation of of this new way where the Gentiles were now accepted into it, that he's writing this in, in, and he continues to record it. Once is in Paul's, or in Luke's own words, and then twice in the later chapters of Acts, in 22 and 26, is when Paul actually is speaking and testifying in front of kings or in front of people that he actually records that as well. And Luke, who is Uh, good at writing, like this is his job, kind of an investigative journalist, he could have just simply said, and Paul told his story, but the way that he wrote it was that he wanted Paul's story in there three times. And so as Paul is talking about in Acts 22, as Paul is talking about his conversion, it says this, about noon, and even that, that's one of those details that is something small and something that doesn't look significant to us initially. However, in that time and in that day, these are facts that were told that could be verified. People could look up. They could ask questions about. Even as we get to later on in the chapter, there's a specific name to the street that existed and the person that lived there. Again, all facts that could be verified. But about noon, and also it's interesting to to note that noon time is when the sun would be the brightest. So this light that he sees is clearly not the sunlight that is around him, but he's saying that there was a different source of light. And so at noon, I came near Damascus. Suddenly, a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And really, the reason why I want to talk about Saul's kind of conversion, his speaking of it, is because he asks another question, at least in this chapter, that I think is so fun, foundational to believers. And so Paul asked the question that we've already seen in, in 22.8. It says, Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Verse 9, my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. And verse 10 says, what shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. So I want you to see Saul's words because I believe he asks two questions that are so foundational and fundamental for us as believers. Saul asks the question, who are you, Lord, and what would you have me do? As believers, I think that that is a question that we continuously need to ask ourselves. Lord, who are you? And really, when, when I say that you need to ask, who is that? It's not, it's not in a joking manner of going, hey, who are you, Jesus? Like, it's, Lord, who are you in my life? Are you Lord and Savior, or are you just something that I think is kind of my get-out-of-jail-free card or, or my moral compass, or uh, is it about a relationship, or, or is Jesus Lord? Is he king of all, or is he king not at all? Who are you, Lord? And the second thing is, what shall I do? In response to who Christ is, what is he calling you to do? 
And so to ask this, I think it's truly a radical or maybe even a fanatical way to live out what we're called to do. And so Saul asked these questions, and God called to him, bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles would be what he would be called to do. And it was a calling that would cause pain and suffering and would ultimately cost him his life as a martyr for his faith. But Paul was up to the task. What's amazing to me is as I look at and I think about Paul, when Paul thinks back on his life, and we don't have time to really go through all of the things that he went through, I hope to do that this coming Tuesday in our overtime podcast where we get to kind of dive a little bit deeper. You can submit questions to that. But really what I think is so amazing as, as Paul looked at his life, he didn't see a bunch of like rainbows and puppy dogs. What Saul actually saw when he looked at his life and he looked at his, his service and his ministry to Jesus Christ, he saw physical scars. He saw torture. He saw stonings. He saw beatings. One of the things that it says in, in Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, it says that five times he received from the Romans 40 lashes minus one. And it's important to know that because the Romans in their, their beating of prisoners considered 40 lashes, the amount of blood that was lost would be considered death. And so the, this 40 lashes minus one means that they would just bring them to the very brink of death and then allow them to heal five times. I don't have time to really go into that, but this, this fasting that he has this morning was, was a period of, uh, or this fasting that Paul did was a sign of, of the mourning and repentance that he had felt because all of a sudden, everything that he was living for, he realized that he actually hadn't been doing. And so continuing on, I want to keep moving, and I, I know that we, we're spending a lot of time, but I th think that this is important. I promise we'll get you out of here in the next few moments. Uh, continuing on, Acts 9, 10 through 16, it says this, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Again, there's specific details so that people could actually verify this information. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Verse 13, I love the, maybe what Ananias is struggling with. In verse 13, it says, Lord, Ananias replied, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I love this kind of real exchange that Ananias has. He's like, hey, Lord, okay, so that guy, Saul, yeah, I've heard about him. Uh, and apparently Saul's reputation had preceded him into Damascus. And, and so Ananias is rightly maybe a little bit alarmed, maybe concerned, maybe even fearful. He's standing there, and God, or, or the Lord tells him to go talk to Saul. He's like, hey, is this Saul the, the same guy that is actually here to arrest people like me? And um, I've heard that he murdered some, and he's beaten some, and he's dragging them off into, with chains bound. Like, Ananias is probably a little bit hesitant there, and I think that all of us would be as well. If we were placed into that situation, into that context, we'd be going, hey, God, I just want to make sure that this is accurate and I understand what you're actually telling me uh, is to go to this guy who's clearly a bad guy and, and to do this thing that you want me to do. 
But I, what I love is that ultimately Ananias goes. He was obedient to what God called him to. It says that Paul was praying, and it shows that there was a genuine faith and life transformation that happened in Paul or Saul as he's, as he's going through these three days, the difficulty that he was there. And so Ananias chooses to go, probably scared, apparently, again, that Saul's reputation had preceded him. And he was working through that, and Ananias was rightly concerned, but he was obedient. And it was revealed to Ananias that Saul had spent those three days in great humiliation and repentance so that Ananias might not go in fear. And so continuing on, it says, the, uh, the Lord reveals, or I'm sorry, in my notes, the Lord re revealed to Ananias that Saul was God's chosen instrument to the Gentiles. Saul's spiritual transformation not only involved the commission to preach the message of Christ, but also a call to suffer for the, for the cause of Christ. And so I, what I love is that he, Ananias was obedient to it. He was obedient to that. And what is amazing is that I think that, that Ananias, actually, Ananias actually modeled what I think that we need to do. In times like this, in times where the coronavirus is, is something that is on everybody's, t on the top of their mind, in everything that they're doing, they're trying to figure out what they need to do. Ananias was actually obedient to the voice of God, not to the fears of the external circumstances. There's external circumstances that would give Ananias great cause and concern and alarm to actually not do the very thing that God is asking him to do. But instead, he was obedient to that. And what's also pretty amazing as you look at this story is that there's this, what some commentators have called a twin vision where, where God appears, or the Lord appears to Saul, but then he also appears to Ananias. Like, so much so that this is, this is hugely important because at that point, God is orchestrating everything. Like, there's no confusion because God is making this come to be. And so what that shows us, and this is one of the main points, maybe if you hear nothing else from this message, is that God is always at work behind the scenes of our lives. He is always working. He is always bending. He is always shaping things so that we would receive good and that he would receive glory. God is always moving. He's always working. He's a perfect steward that never wastes a single hurt. And I love that Ananias goes to Saul and he's obedient to him. He goes to Saul and is obedient to God, even though the external circumstances would cause him to fear, would cause him to say, God, I don't know if that's what you're actually calling me to do. Continuing on in Acts, it's uh, chapter 9, verses 17 through 19, or chapter 9, verse 17 through 19. It says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, whom, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Taking some food, he regained his strength. And, and it's kind of weird, the whole idea of scales falling from his eyes, and this is what I alluded to earlier. It's possible that this encounter with God wasn't just something that left a spiritual mark, but, but it's believed that he could have possibly had eye trouble throughout the rest of his life. There's a few different verses that kind of lead people to believe that, and possibly even the thorn in his flesh that he references um, in Second in Corinthians could have been his eyesight. Not sure. It's just kind of a theory and an idea, but it's pretty 
miraculous to think that maybe this didn't just leave a spiritual impact, but it left a physical one as well. And it's amazing that Ananias, on placing his hands on Saul, it was a a gesture of expressing recognition and confirmation of God's acceptance and Christian unity, as was the greeting brother. Pretty amazing that what I would believe is that Ananias was a little bit fearful, but yet as he comes to Saul, he, what looks like, warmly greets him, calls him brother, kind of exchanges the first first language of love that we understand through physical touch. And, and when I say that, when you think of a child, it's by holding a child that there's a bond that's connected between mom and son or, or child and parent. Like there's a bond that happens through that physical touch and there's something that can happen through physical touch. And here Ananias is obedient to what God calls him to do, but even in that shows love, care, and concern. He was obedient to this. Ananias chose not to focus on the external circumstances, but to trust the voice of God, to allow his fear or trepidation to overcome, uh, to not be overcome his obedience to God. Let me say that again. To not allow his fear or trepidation to overcome his obedience to God. When it comes to these uh, unprecedented times that we find ourselves in, we are the church. The church is not this building. You are the church. And I feel like this is what God is calling us to do, that we need to understand that he is always at work, even in the worst of circumstances, that he has got a plan, that he is moving towards something that maybe we don't even understand, but God is calling us to be his hands and feet. And in this season and in this time, if we just sit hold up in our home and not actually care about our neighbors or care about our communities, then we do a disservice to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has called us to be his hands and feet. Don't misunderstand me. Please use wisdom. Wisdom is not an enemy of faith. Use wisdom. If you're sick, you shouldn't be going out. If you don't feel well, you shouldn't be going out. But in these next two weeks, if your children are at home, it's not for them to have this spring vacation. But I believe that it's because God wants to do something and he can use that time that they now have. Get them involved. Do something. Be the church. The church is not this building. I beg you to be the church. This closing of schools is not a vacation. If anything, this is an opportunity for you to amp up and do something for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, kind of running out of time here. What I want to do is, is maybe invite the, the worship team to come on up as I kind of read the, the following, um, just kind of the, the conclusion of Acts chapter 9, verses 20 through 31. It says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to chief priests? Verse 22, Yet Saul grew grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is Messiah. After many days he had gone, by, had, had gone by, there was a conspiracy amongst the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with him and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He walked and uh, talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. But the believers learned of this, and they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Or Tarsus, when the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it increased in numbers. Really, as we as we kind of close uh, the chapter or start a new chapter of a, a new week, as we have all of these this fears of the coronavirus and the the COVID nineteen. As we're looking into the future, what I pray that you hear is that God is calling you to be the hands and feet. Uh, he is calling you to be his hands and feet, to advance the kingdom even in this season. I truly believe that God wants to do something in our nation through this. And even though the church doors may be shut, this is not the church. You are the church. The movement of the people, you are the church, so be the church. God-fearing people were, what started, were the starting point for the church's mission to take Christ's message beyond the Jews and into other cultures. And living in fear of the Lord is a large part of the reason that the church grew in numbers. To fear God is to experience extreme awe and reverence, or, or, uh, and reverence of God's ultimate power and authority. And so as we sing this final song, I hope that that challenges you, that you would be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, that you would be the church, and that you would go for it, even in a time that there's alarm and concern. So would you maybe stand with me, whether you're at home or whether you're not, whether you're watching, would you stand with me as we sing our final song? Finds its inmost melody 
biggest questions that a believer I think can ask is who are you Lord and what shall I do remember that God is always at work in our lives behind the scenes you may see him you may not but he is always at work and then the last thing that I would challenge you with is to to not look at the external circumstances but trust in God's leading trust in his voice and his calling thank you guys so much for joining us today we hope that you are blessed we hope that the spirit of god is moving in through your device through your television through your phone and that you experience his presence this morning I do want to remind you that we will be having updates both on tuesdays and fridays so please stay tuned 
let us know if there's somebody specifically that we need to get in contact with that doesn't have access to the internet. We'll be doing that through our app, through social media, and then through our website. So please stay up to date with that. Call people that you might have a connection with that can't necessarily be here or don't have access to those things. And, and we hope to see you soon. Again, an ongoing situation that we will be assessing and kind of monitoring and trying to communicate as best as we can. So thank you for joining us. And we hope that you have a great day. Thank you.